We'll learn more today as we join Pastor Phil. We are in the church age. It will end when the rapture happens. And I personally don't think that as soon as the rapture happens, it's not going to be that long before the Antichrist makes his appearance. That's my feeling. I don't think it's going to be years and whatever. I think it's going to be, you know, maybe weeks, possibly months. I don't think it's going to be years. He's going to make his appearance on the world's uh, stage. But there is one final seven-year period that God has set aside to deal with Israel. And if God is dealing with Israel, folks, the church is out of here. And I hope we've shown that to you as we study Revelation 4, uh, verse 1. Now, the Antichrist, when he makes his appearance, so I believe he's going to make his appearance or he's going to come to power during some kind of a world crisis. Hey, I think the rapture is going to feed into that. I think that when all these millions and millions of people disappear from over the face of the earth, that's going to create quite a bit of confusion and turmoil. It's going to destabilize nations. You're going to have a scenario where probably warfare starts. I think it could possibly fit into what God prophesied in Ezekiel 38 and 39, where at that moment, Russia, Iran, and a confederation of Muslim nations primarily attack Israel. If you read those chapters carefully, you see that there is obviously, I think, some kind of a limited nuclear exchange during this battle. Now, could you imagine the abject horror and unmitigated terror the people of this world are going to be feeling? Millions of people have disappeared all over the face of the earth. Now the earth has been brought to the brink of nuclear annihilation. They are going to be screaming for somebody to take control to bring about peace and stability back to the earth. You can, you can just see it. Enter the Antichrist. Enter the Antichrist. This is the moment that Satan has been waiting for. The stage has been set, and here comes the Antichrist. When we think of the word anti, we often define that as meaning against or opposed to. You know, the Greek word could mean in the place of. And, you know, I really believe that that is the proper translation. This is not a man who is opposed to religion. He comes with a false prophet next to him, a sidekick, and he is going to use religion. Not that he's, he's the ultimate humanist. I mean, he worships himself. But he is going to look like a religious man. He is going to use, don't you know Satan uses religion? Some of his best work is done through religion, you know? Some people think Satan is, is the ultimate atheist. He's, he, no, he's very religious. And, and he spawned many religions, many movements and cults. And so I really believe that this man is not going to be anti-Christ in the sense he's against Christ, against the real Jesus Christ, but he is going to come as a false Christ, a false messiah. 
masquerading as the true Christ. Look, the Jews, they're going to believe that he is their Messiah who has finally come. They're still waiting for their Messiah. Unfortunately, as Jesus said in John 5, 43, I have come in my Father's name, and you, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. And he's ultimately talking about the Antichrist. So they rejected their true Christ and now are going to receive a false Christ that they believe is going to be their true Messiah. The Muslims, they're going to believe he's the 12th Imam, the Mahdi. According to to Shiites, the 12th Imam disappeared as a child in the year 941. They believe that when he returns, he will reign on the earth for seven years before bringing about a final judgment and the end of the world. They also claim the Mahdi will reappear on earth with Jesus. One Muslim said, and I quote, We read in the book Tazkarat al-Aliyah, the Mahdi will come with Jesus, son of Mary, accompanying him. Imam Mahdi will be the leader, while Prophet Jesus will act as his lieutenant, his muscle, in the struggle against oppression and establishment of justice in the world. Jesus had himself given the tidings of the coming of God's last messenger and will see Muhammad's ideals materialize in the time of the Mahdi, end quote. And from what I understand in, in Iran, which is a, a Shia, they are so excited about this coming Mahdi, they believe he's coming very soon. There's a hotline they've established in Iran where people are calling up, what do I need to do? How can I make sure I'm involved in the, in the kingdom he's bringing and so on? I mean, they're really into it. They really believe this guy is coming very soon. And then, of course, the New Agers, they're going to believe that this character is the latest reincarnation of the Christ Spirit who has finally come to bring the New Age to the world, the Age of Aquarius. You know, New Age has been talking about this for a long time. They believe that Jesus was the reincarnation of the Christ Spirit for the last age, the Piscean Age. And they're looking for uh, a Messiah of sorts, who is going to bring to the earth a new age. Now, it's interesting that many New Agers believe something I think is very fascinating. They believe that all those folks with the lower vibratory brain waves, you know, all the monotheists that are, that are hindering the collective consciousness from really creating a critical mass that's going to spring us into a new age, you know, all of us, Muslims, Jews, and Christians, they believe that before this Messiah can come, and bring about this new age, the earth is going to go through a cleansing cycle. And all of us are going to disappear, which will prepare the way. It's interesting if you're a Christian, how they're going to explain the rapture. But folks, the people of this world are ripe. They are ripe for receiving a global leader who will unite the world and bring peace. People in this country have already been trained to think globally. We have leaders in... Congress who are actively working to bring about a global uh, society. I mean, they're trying to do it with, uh, with our national identity, our constitution. They want us to think globally, transnationally. I mean, that kind of thing. We, it's already at work. Our kids are being indoctrinated into a global mindset. There was some talk some years ago, I don't know if it's still on the burners, about a, a, a global tax. That's the key because whatever government you pay taxes to, they're the ones that control you. So if you pay a global tax to the U.N., the U.N. really controls. That's your, that's your nation. And it's coming. And people are ripe. 
They are ripe for this. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, well, why will God let so many people be deceived by this guy? It's always God's fault, isn't it? Why is God always picking on us? You know, I mean, some people, you know, they, they act like if, if, if God would just leave me alone, I'd have a good life. All the bad in my life, why is God picking on me? Why is God sending all these poor people to hell? Why does God let so many people be deceived by the Antichrist? Turn to 2 Thessalonians 2. Not that I have to come to God's defense, but let me just... In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 9, the coming of the lawless one, Paul tells us, the Antichrist, is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders. These are real miracles in the Greek, but he calls them lying miracles. Why? Because when Jesus did a miracle, it pointed people to truth, namely himself. When the Antichrist does miracles, they will be deceptive in the sense that they will point people to error, to lies, deception. So he comes with all these miraculous powers that Satan gives him. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, why? Why do people perish? Why are they deceived? Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. They rejected the gospel. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. Look. Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. If a person decides to harden their heart against God, at one point God says, fine, if that's the way you want it, I'll harden it even more for you. If that's the position you want to take, you don't love truth, you don't want light, you love darkness rather than light because your deeds are evil, that's fine, now you're going to have darkness. Now you're going to be open to deception. And that's how God, in a sense, judges, in part, the people of this world. They've rejected the love of the truth. They didn't want to hear the gospel. They don't want you Christians talking to them. I'm tired of Christians at work, at work talking to me. I don't want to hear it anymore. You know, I don't want to hear that I'm a sinner. I don't want to hear that it's wrong to, to drink and have sex outside of marriage. I don't want to hear that abortion is wrong or homosexuality is wrong. I wish all you Christians would just go away. God says, fine, come on up here. And we go away. But so does the restraining influence of the Holy Spirit working through the church. We're the salt and light. And once the salt and light are gone, once the church in the world, which is the moral conscience of the world, and is a retardant against the putrefaction and decay of this world morally and spiritually, once the church is taken out of here, folks, you think it's bad now when it's evil is restrained? You ain't seen nothing yet. I mean, it's going to be unlike anything anyone has ever imagined. Evil, immorality, spiritual deception of all kinds. I mean, it's going to be absolutely horrendous. I mean, I was just reading this morning um, on, in the newspaper that you have a psychologist in Sweden and an expert in daycare, and they put the kids in daycare at age one, and they stay in, in daycare until about six when they enter into public school. And these two people were saying that it's healthy and good to let kids experiment with their sexuality. So if they want to touch each other, if they want to... And I'm reading this article going, Father, could it get any more twisted on this earth? Advocating that little kids should be allowed to go off into the corner and do whatever. I'm like, this is not even... This is demonic. It's not even normal. It's not... It's not rational. It's calling evil good and good evil. 
And yet this is a restrained world with regard to evil. I can't even imagine what we're looking at after the church is taken out. Well, we won't have to imagine. We'll be in heaven. But it's something that we can't even fathom. Now, verse 2. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was what? Given to him. And he went out conquering and to conquer. Look, the people of this world are going to beg this guy to take charge. He's not going to take power militarily. He's going to be given power politically. And yet the one behind the scenes that is actually giving him power on earth is really the devil. In Revelation chapter 13, verse 4, we read, So the people of this world worshipped the dragon, title for Satan, who gave authority to the beast, the Antichrist, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast who was able to make war with him? Now remember, once again, as we study chapters 6 through 19, we are going to be looking at the judgment of God that is going to be poured out upon this Christ rejecting world in the form of the seals, the trumpets, and the bold judgments. And we'll see those as we go. But these are designed by God to judge the inhabitants of the earth. You know, there are so many people today that worship Mother Earth. I mean, some of them are just totally Mother Earth worshipers, and they got whatever little finger symbols and the flowers in the hair, and they dance out in the forest, and they worship the earth, literally, okay? Then you got the environmentalists and the scientists and the evolutionists who worship the creation rather than the creator. It's all a form of idolatry. And if you remember, we're going to see this with the bold judgments really clearly, but when God judged Egypt, all of those plagues, were act- the ten plagues were actually, uh, each one was, uh, was uh, leveled at one of the gods of Egypt. Egypt is, a, in the Bible, it's type of the world. When God judges this world, he is going to judge all the gods of this world. And the planet Earth is going to be one of those that he is going to judge. Now, he created the Earth. So the earth is neutral in that regard. But people have worshipped the creation rather than the creator. So they have turned earth into an idol, and God is going to destroy their idols. Because that's what judgment is. It's really a judgment against idolatry. People will not worship the true and living God. The first and greatest commandment is that you love the Lord your God. First and foremost, that you, you, that you honor him and put him first in all things. And people of this world, they, they worship and, and honor all kinds of things other than God. And so eventually God is going to judge the the gods of this earth. But this will all be in preparation. It's a time of purging and judgment which will prepare the earth for Jesus' return and the establishment of the kingdom age. Now, please listen to me. I don't want to confuse you, but if you don't hear this, you're going to be confused the rest of the way out. It is hard to know how these events that we're going to be reading about in these chapters, how they unfold how they overlap or repeat in order to amplify something that's already been expressed in overview form. Look, you got to keep that in your mind. Uh, In the scriptures is a very common literary technique for God to sketch out, give an overview of a period of time, and then for him to zero in on one aspect of that period of time and amplify it, expand it. Give you an example, Genesis chapter 1. God gives us a quick overview of the six days of creation. Chapter 2, he zeroes in on the sixth day of creation. Why? Because that's the day man was made, and man is central to the theme of redemption that God is setting forth in the pages of all the Scripture. 
See, it's all about God's redemptive plan for mankind. So you've got to start with man. But God gives a quick overview of creation, six days, then zeroes in on the sixth day and amplifies what happened on that day. When the disciples came to Jesus in Matthew 24 and said, you know, Lord, what are going to be the signs of your coming in the end of the age? In verses 4 through 14, Jesus gives an overview sketch of the entire seven-year period. Then starting in verses 15 through 31, he zeroes in on the last three and a half years, and he amplifies that, giving us greater insights into what is going to be going on in that period of time. Now, keep that in the back of your mind, because as we read the book of Revelation, I think many people have made the mistake of reading the book as if it was a, a strict chronology of events. Much of it is sequential. But you have to understand that as we're going through different things, often at different points, we revisit something that's already been given an overview of, and the Lord focuses in on that and expands it. And if you're taking this chronologically, you're going to get very confused. So the Lord sketches out some things that are going to happen, whoop, goes back, focuses on something in that period of time, whether it was a seal or a trumpet or a bowl, and he zeroes in on it and he amplifies it so that we understand more in greater detail what's going to be happening at that time. So keep that in mind, okay? I hope I haven't confused you. Let me just say this. The seals encompass the entire 70th week of Daniel. All seven seals encompass the entire seven years culminating with the return of Jesus Christ to the planet Earth. The first four seals, it's best to understand, as taking place during, during the first three and a half years of the final seven. So the first four seals seem to represent what's going to take place in the first three and a half years of the seven. The fifth seal kind of transitions between the end of the first half of the tribulation period moving us into the second half, and then the uh, sixth and seventh seals take place during the Great Tribulation, the Great Tribulation. See, Jesus divided this last seven years this way in Matthew 24. First three and a half years he called the beginning of what? Sorrows or birth pains. The first three and a half years, you're going to see some things happening. Like a woman going into labor. The pains start off relatively light and spaced far apart, But the closer we get to the birth of the child, of course, the more intense the pain becomes and the quicker comes the contractions until finally they're right on top of each other and boom, the child is born and then the mother has peace again. It's like, you know, it's ah, relief and the joy of seeing the child, which was all worth the pain, right? I'm assuming. I mean, I'm I'm not speaking from experience, but, you know, this is what I've been told. This is what my wife tells me. It's all worth it. Um... That's kind of how it's going to be with the kingdom. Before the kingdom is birthed, the first three and a half years of the seven, you're going to see some things happening, judgments, but they're going to be kind of mild and spaced out. You come into the second three and a half years, wow, these judgments are coming faster. They're more intense until finally it looks like the earth is going to be just torn to shreds. And all of a sudden, here comes Jesus Christ. He comes and he births the kingdom and there is peace And there is joy. So keep that in mind, okay? And once again, in uh, chapter 6, verse 2, the first seal, John said, And I looked, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him. 
and he went out conquering and to conquer. As we have already stated, the Antichrist, when he comes, will come not as a man of war initially. He'll come as a man of peace. And he will be able to do what no man has ever been able to do in the history of the world, and that is bring about worldwide peace, at least for a while, at least for a while. Now, because this man is eventually going to be possessed by the devil himself, you know, some people interpret him to be some kind of a hideous monster. Uh, And maybe in his heart, that's exactly what he will be. But uh, outwardly, he's going to be a very charismatic leader. A very charismatic leader. You know, people are drawn to charismatic types of individuals, good-looking, articulate, intelligent. He'll be all of that and much more. In fact, uh, one commentator has said this about this man. He said he will have the oratorical skill of a John Kennedy, the inspirational power of a Winston Churchill, the determination of a Joseph Stalin, the vision of a Karl Marx, He will have the respectability of a Gandhi, the military prowess of a Douglas MacArthur, the charm of a Will Rogers, and the genius of a King Solomon. Quite a leader. Verse 3, when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out. And it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth and that people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword, fiery red. Of course, red is the color of blood. This is going to be a bloody time on the earth. It speaks of war, war that kind of takes hold during the tribulation period as it progresses. The fact that he was given a great sword, uh, I think, is very um, Uh, important that we understand. I think Ray Steadman uh, put it well. He said, understandably, many Bible scholars today view this large or great sword as a symbol of the awesome power of the nuclear bomb. We have to admit that it is only in our century, with its efficient, high-tech approach to killing, that the fulfillment of these terrible predictions could even come about. What predictions? Well, as Jesus said, unless those days were shortened, talking about this period of time, No flesh would remain upon the earth. It hasn't been until the last, what, 60 years or so, that man has got the capacity to destroy himself worldwide. We're talking about this period of time. And nuclear weaponry, I think, is definitely something that comes into play here. Now, this second rider goes out on this fiery red horse. Some have suggested that... The Antichrist, of course, being the rider of the first horse who brings temporary peace to the earth, this second rider could be the false prophet. And that's possible. But as we said last time, it could also be the Antichrist. You say, well, how is that? Because the Antichrist essentially comes twice. He comes the first time as a man of peace, right? He brings about a time of peace on the earth. But in the middle of the last seven years... He is going to turn into a bloodthirsty madman. Of course, when he brings peace to the earth, he's going to unite the world in a one-world government. Uh, It's going to be divided up into ten nations or ten regions, each having a king or a ruler over them. Initially, it's going to be a kind of a uh, democracy in a sense. The Antichrist will have facilitated it, but he won't necessarily be a worldwide dictator at this point. He'll be a man of peace who has somehow 
brought the world together in a one world peaceful government. But in the middle of the last seven years, something happens and he becomes a bloodthirsty tyrant. He uproots three of the leaders of the ten nations and he basically seizes control of the world. But I just want you to understand that initially it says it was given to him a great sword. The world gives him initially his authority. And the sword, meaning the power of capital punishment to kill anybody who doesn't get in line with what he wants to do. The world is going to think, well, you know, we're going to have world peace. You know, we have to, if you want to make an omelet, you got to break a few eggs. You know, if you want to have world peace, we've got to sacrifice some people who refuse to get on board. But initially he is going to be pretty much a man of peace. But ultimately, understand, as he turns and becomes a bloodthirsty military tyrant, realize this, though, that ultimately the authority that is given to him comes from God. You've been listening to Day by Day, the verse-by-verse Bible teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, with Pastor Phil Ballmeyer. Today's message, as well as many other studies, can be heard and downloaded free of charge from our website at daybydayradio.org. From our website, you can contact us, order resources, read Pastor Phil's blog, and also subscribe to our daily podcast. We hope you'll pay us a visit. And remember to join us for Day by Day, Monday through Friday, here on this station. Thanks again for listening, and please join us again next time as we continue to study God's Word. Until then, may the Lord richly bless you and guide your steps as you walk with Him, day by day.